Um, if you're new, uh, I'm sure glad to meet you. I'm Andrew Burchett. I've been here for a quarter century. <laughs> and actually before that, I was here, you know, being a kid growing up and stuff like that. But um, we are in this series uh, that I'm calling Still Small Voice. And it's all about hearing and discerning God's spoken word, how he shows us things. And he's a God who speaks. He's a God who's constantly teaching us. He's a teaching God. The Holy Spirit's job is to remind us of the words of Jesus and continually teach us. And, um, and so uh, I want to know, Ames, do we have a prize for somebody who can actually get this right? I think we do, yeah. So I wonder if there's anyone who could tell me, without it being on the screen, what are the four helpful building blocks for posturing yourself to hear God's voice? Jenna, okay, yell them out for me. Humility. Humility. Stillness. Stillness. Purity. Purity. Perseverance. Perseverance. She gets a coffee at Jeff's Cafe. So see Amy afterwards. She will hook you up. Um, these are helpful building blocks. Are you up for it? I know you've had a rough week, so I got David always in the second row, but all right. That's right. Here. All right. We got, a, we got a few building blocks here. Why do I keep saying the same things over and over? So that you'll remember it, right? That's okay. I was going to say I need to get closer to you, girlfriend. Thanks. All right. So these are critical building blocks that as we're learning how to hear God's voice, they're super helpful. And um, which is my favorite? Anybody remember which was my favorite of these four? Humility. Somebody got it right in the back. Um, I added one more last week that I think is very helpful, and that is releasing your burdens to Jesus before you start listening. Because I don't know about you, this is just me. Sometimes I just feel like there's all these heavy things that I'm carrying, and it just gets in the way. And so it kind of clears the air if I just go, Jesus, I'm just going to cast all my anxieties on you, know that you care for, for me. So just a little hot tip, at least from my life. So as we talk about dreams and visions, let me root us here in the Bible, because God is a God who loves to use imagery. He loves to use pictures. As much as we are a screen-dominated society, he has a screen right here in his mind that he would love to paint pictures and show movies and show us things that he's doing, right? Where do I get this? Acts 2, verse 17. We're anticipating Pentecost here in a couple weeks. And this is on that day of Pentecost. Peter says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. So this is a quote of Joel 2 as well. Peter is quoting that. So there is this anticipation that the Holy Spirit, who we get when we give our life to Jesus, then he comes and lives inside us. And this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. You have this idea of looking. Daniel looked toward Jerusalem as he prayed. It's almost as if he's looking for something. Habakkuk kept watch to see what God would speak. You see this watching and hearing thing together. You also see it in John, in Revelation 4. John looked inwardly for a vision, and then he heard a voice say, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after these things, and immediately had a vision, right? Jesus. He's our ultimate example. Jesus spoke the things that he had seen in the presence of his father in John 8, 38. So today, we're going to talk about pictures and dreams. Pictures and dreams, all right? We'll start with pictures. So where do pictures come from? Three places that pictures can come from. They can come from the Lord. He can show us a picture. We can have our own pictures in our mind. 
or the enemy of, enemy of our soul can put pictures into our mind, right? Now, it's interesting that oftentimes the picture, at least to me, will just come to me out of the blue. I'll just see this, this image, this picture. And sometimes it's a picture like, well, look at that beautiful picture, right? So imagine you're driving on that road and you're driving on the left side because this is in Ireland, right? And have you ever been driven, driving on the road next to a cliff and all of a sudden you get this picture of yourself driving off the cliff? Raise your hand, okay? Not because you're fearful, but because all of a sudden, out of the blue, this idea thought, it would, I could just drive right off this cliff. And most of us go, what was that? That was the enemy of your soul giving you a picture from the pit of hell trying to kill you. Why? Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. That's our purpose statement here. We exist to experience and share the life to the fullest that Jesus came to give us. So we want that life to the fullest, but we need to be aware sometimes you'll be praying and all of a sudden, boop, this lustful thought will come into your head and you'll think, oh, and you just immediately start condemning yourself. But have you ever thought about the fact that maybe that wasn't your thought? Maybe the enemy was speaking into your mind and just trying to get you off track. So what do you do? Same thing you do when you have a really bad dream or a nightmare. No, in Jesus' name, get out of here. You go, you go away. Done. Right? Sometimes the enemy just wants to just throw a monkey wrench into the gears. Just call it good. Rebuke it. Just say, nope, you're out of here. And then you're on to something else. I just want you to be aware that as much as the enemy can influence your dream life, he certainly can just influence straight up your thought life. He'll just jump, jump, he'll put garbage onto your dinner plate, right? So this idea of getting pictures, I realized as I was thinking about this, I was at Alliance Redwoods at a district conference this week and up late in my camp bed, which is like, you know, bunk beds and the guys in the, in the room are snoring and I'm like, oh golly. So I'm up late just kind of hanging out, thinking about my message this week. And I realized that pictures are a very important way that I have learned to pray over the years. What do I mean by that? Well, I wrote it down so I didn't forget. When I pray, I look for an image projected on the projector screen of my mind. I just close my eyes because it's helpful for me to close my eyes. That way I'm not distracted by anything I'm seeing. And I just wait to see, is there, there going to be a picture that's going to pop up? And oftentimes there is. All right? Now, could that be, picture be of, you know, the Thai food that I'm going to have for lunch? 100%. Or ice cream, because ice cream is a gift from the Lord, right? I could have a picture of, you know, what I, what I wish I was doing. I can have a picture of some, you know, thing, of some place that I love. But sometimes it's just this picture that seems like it just, boop, pops in out of nowhere. And it doesn't seem like it has any context. And so, what do I do when I see that picture? I'm really glad you asked. Here's my things. I wrote them down. I ask, Lord, is that picture from you? Or am I just hungry, right? Or am I just distracted? And I wait. Now, I don't tell anybody I'm doing this. This is all happening to my little brain, right? My heart, and I'm just waiting. And then if I don't receive anything else, I just use the mental eraser. I go, all right, Lord, I'm just going to look for another picture. I'm just going to wait. And then, boop, another picture will come in, right? 
Lord, is that you? Now, if I feel like after I ask that, all of a sudden something pops into my mind, some explanation, some tie to their life, some kind of thing that I know that I should pray for, then if I sense a word that goes with it, I pray for that, right? Sometimes I'll say, I'm seeing a picture of a llama, you know, or whatever, and I might share them, the picture with them, or sometimes I don't, because sometimes that llama means something dramatic to them. I would never know that their llama is their favorite, it's been their favorite since fourth grade, and they did a report on llamas, and they always, every time the llama shows up, the Lord is moving, or whatever, like that stuff happens, by the way. Like you, you it's funny, but it's not funny, because it's true. But so it's good to share that picture if you get a picture. But more important is the prayer that you're praying for them. That you are praying for their good and for provision and for protection and for wholeness and for healing. So for me, as I'm praying, oftentimes I look for a picture first. Do I always see a picture? Not always. But the more I look, the more I see. Make sense? So that's just pictures. We're going to put a pin in that because we got to talk about dreams. So last week, we talked a little bit, and I want to return to it because I ran out of time. So I wanted to pick it up a little bit here. Deja vu. Okay, deja vu is a French term that means already seen. I've already seen this. I feel like I've been here before. It's like you're remembering something that's happening right in the moment, okay? Anybody experience this before? Raise your hand. Okay, this is my corny little um, categories that I made up that I gave you last week. The first one is, that's weird, right? You just kind of like, it's just kind of something that you just notice, but then you just kind of move on, okay? That's the first category. Second category is, whoa, I like, I could predict what you're going to say next, and then you said it, whoa, this is... This is wild. You, now all of a sudden you know that it's not just a familiar smell. Like my grandmother's house always smelled like natural gas, right? You walk into the kitchen, you're like, how many people are like that, right? You walk into your grandma's house, oh no, no one? Just us, Mike? Who are your grandmas? What in the world? Right, you just went, ah, oh, I'm at grandma's house, right? That's a familiar smell. But I mean, like you could predict, and this has happened to me several times, where I could literally write the script and she's going to say this and then she says it and then I'm going to say this and then she said that. <gasps> right? All of a sudden you're arrested because you're, this is so vivid. It's not coincidental. There's something going on. You know it's something going on. The last, that's the second category. The last category is I've seen this movie before. This is a, that was a warning. I'm going to make a different choice. So now, not only are you aware of what's going on, but it's like the Lord's giving you an opportunity to get it right, okay? So this is my little three little wonky categories. Um, so here's a few things that I just want to mention about deja vu as, before we go on. Uh, this is the phrase that I felt like the Lord gave me. Deja vu is remembering the future. It's remembering the future. You already have dissonance in your mind, right? Because how do you remember the future? The only way you can remember the future is if someone who knows the future actually reveals it to you. Can't be the enemy because the enemy doesn't know the future. Only God knows the future. So if the future is going to be revealed to you, then God must be involved somehow. 
I'm not saying go and base all of your decision and your whole life on a deja vu moment. I'm saying that these moments, I believe, are actually us remembering prophetic dreams that God gave us already about the future. That's how we remember the future. Does that make sense? This is my theory, by the way, because deja vu is not in the Bible. But anytime you're going to talk about dreams and visions, you've got to cover this, right? We need to cover it. You don't have to. We will. Right? So, by the way, this is not remembering past lives. Why? Because you didn't have one. Anyone who tells you you had multiple lives is not reading Hebrews 9. That says we were destined to die once and then face judgment. One life. You got one life to live. However, it's a short life here for a long eternal life and a much better one. This is just a dress rehearsal for the real thing. This is not past lives, okay? If somebody says that, you just, you just think, oh, bless their hearts, okay? <laughs> Lastly, I believe deja vu is God tapping on your shoulder. Hey, 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 you should pay attention right now. Because why would he show you something in, the, in a dream that you don't even remember that you had the dream and all of a sudden then you're in the moment, you're like, oh, he just said what I knew he was going to say and how did that happen? It's the deja vu moment. That's God tapping you going, hey, you should pay attention. I'm trying to show you something here. I don't know what it is. You'll have to figure that out yourself. That's the adventure of living this Christian life. That if every time you pray, you're looking for a picture and you get a picture and all of a sudden it lines up with something that really means something powerful. And they're like, how could you know that? I didn't know that. That's amazing. All of a sudden, prayer is exciting, right? It's an adventure. And all of a sudden, now if you have a deja vu moment, you go, God, you must be doing something. Why? Because God's always working. If God's always working, you just look to see where he's working and you go join him in the work. So that's the deja vu dust up, if you will. But I promised you last week and we didn't get to it. So we're going to get to Chuck Prohoda's favorite character in the Bible, Joseph. And uh, I'm going to talk about him for a few minutes. Why? Because, well, his life was marked by dreams in a very powerful way. So, we are going to do an ultra-speedy version of Joseph. It would be fun to preach through his life one of these days. However, Joseph is covered in the book of Genesis. The Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It tells us the beginnings of creation and the world and all sorts of wonderful things. It sets us up and helps us understand that Adam and Eve, our first parents, well, they make a really bad choice. They eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they're thrown out of the garden. And God is now spending the rest of the time here as humans are on earth, making that right, rebuilding relationship. And so in the midst of this, God chooses one man, Abraham, and through his family, he's going to bless all nations. And so this family, it starts with Abraham, and then it goes to Isaac, his son, and then Jacob, the third patriarch. Jacob has how many sons? Anybody know? He has 12. And um, if you didn't know that, it's okay. So he has these 12 sons, and um, one of his sons is Joseph. Now, he's also got four wives, as it turns out. Well, two wives and two concubines, but really four wives. Boy, can you imagine what kind of trouble that would get you into? I mean, whew. I don't think this was God's design. 
And so this causes all kinds of turmoil, favoritism. I know there's no favoritism in your house. I'm sure you never grew up with your sibling being your fa- the favorite and you not. You know, so just trust me, this is a thing with some people. Um, and so the story of Joseph, or the account of Joseph, goes from Genesis 37 all the way to the end of the book, um, chapter 50. So there's a lot of material here. But we're going to go high level here. Um, so Jacob, the third of the patriarchs, is living in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account. Joseph, a young man of 17 years old. Think of your favorite 17-year-old. Yep. Hunter, are you 17? I was going to say, our drummer this morning, Hunter, is 17, right? He's great. Tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the other wife. You can tell it's going to be already rough. And the sons of Zilpah, another wife, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Dad, this is what they're doing behind your back. Right? This does not go well. Now, Israel, who is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he had been born to him in his old age. So he made a richly ornamented robe for him. This is Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat, if you will, right? And when his, fa- his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. It's not going well in this family, right? And what happens next? Well, Joseph has a double dream from God. Joseph had a dream. He went to told, he told his fa- brothers about it. That was probably his first mistake. They hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. Oh, bless his heart. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. You don't have to have some kind of gift of discernment to understand. He's saying, look, you're going to bow down to me and I'm going to be the one who rules over you. Well, you can imagine this went over really well. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And if that's not enough, the Lord's like, I'm going to double down. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Another grievous mistake, probably. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars, that would be his brothers and his mom and dad, were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the, on the ground to you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Jacob just put that in his pocket. He said, maybe there's something to this. Why? Because Jacob understood the supernatural. He had experienced it before. He knew what to look for, and he went, ah, something's, there's something here. I mean, Jacob, uh, Joseph's probably being a little bit arrogant about it, but ugh, there's something here. And so he has, Joseph has this double dream that is talking, it's a prophetic dream talking about his future. Why is God giving him this dream at 17? Because of this concept that I showed you last week. This is my fancy illustration I made myself. So here you are. Well, you're a red-haired woman with glasses, and you're looking at your future. You've got mountains in your future that you have to climb, that you're gonna, things you're going to do. But God gives you a vision of something great someday that you're heading toward. Oh my gosh, that's going to be amazing. I'm going to get to the top of that mountain and everything's going to be copacetic. But what you don't see, 
God's giving us picture of that future moment because we can't see the fact that we got to wade through some deep waters before we get there. And so that is so that you can hold on to hope that God has something good for you even in the midst of trials and tribulations because trials will come. And so God gives a double dream. We're going to see this double dream thing later. There's some significance to it. So, well, just to cut to the chase. Well, his brothers, they throw him in a cistern and they go, you know what? We're going to sell you into slavery. We're going to get rid of you. We're going to tell dad that you got killed. And so they dipped his Technicolor dream coat into goat's blood and they came back and they said, is this your son's coat? Meanwhile, Joseph has been sold into slavery and he's gone to Egypt and he's not forgotten by his father. His father is weeping bitterly. In the meantime, Joseph lands on his feet. He's an amazing man. He's a, he has incredible skills and abilities, and he has great integrity. And so he, he gets sold into Potiphar's house. Potiphar is the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, so he's a government official. It's a pretty posh deal. And quickly, he's just a servant, but he rises to the top where he's, he's basically overseeing the whole of the household. Potiphar's got it so good, all he has to do is worry about what he eats, those of you who have assistants or employees, wouldn't that be amazing to have everything taken care of? All you have to do is worry about where you're going to go to lunch. This is where Potiphar is. Potiphar loves Joseph, but Potiphar's wife is not so on the up and up, let's say. And she, is, she sees that he's handsome, and she says, come to bed with me. And he's like, nope, 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 nope. And she asks repeatedly. Finally, when Potiphar's away, she's grabbing him and saying, come, come to bed with me. And he runs out of his jacket. Well, now he's got, she's got his jacket. She feels frustrated and embarrassed that he won't have her and break the rules and be and do all the wrong stuff. And so then he frames her. She frames him and he's thrown into prison. Man, it's just, every time Joseph seems like he's on the upswing, he, you know, things go bad. Can you relate to that a little bit? So now he's in prison. He's put in charge of the prisoners and like everything goes so well, the jailer all of a sudden, it's the set of the same of him. All he has to do is just like, Worry about what he's eating because Joseph's doing a great job managing the entire jail. In the midst of it, he ends up interpreting two dreams two, for two of Pharaoh's household officials, the baker and the cupbearer. And so he, these two men both have dreams. Let me just turn to this here. I think this is in chapter 40. Yes. Yes, it is. And so he interprets the dreams. Now, the dreams are, I would say, fairly straightforward, but clearly God is showing Joseph how to, um, what these dreams mean, and they do come true. That the baker loses his head after three days, and the cupbearer is restored to his position in three days. And so it's two dreams that are interpreted well. And in this season, what God is doing is he's aligning Joseph to be in the right place at the right time so that God's purposes will be fulfilled. So yes, it's difficult, but 
Mind you, Joseph's holding on to these dreams from when he was 17 for all, for all these years going, Lord, you said this about me. You showed me this. I'm going to hold on to that. It's maybe what it gets him through these difficult seasons. And then he says to the, to the chief cupbearer, um, hey, remember me when you get to Pharaoh's household because I've been dealt a really bad hand. Chapter 41 when two full years had passed, he totally forgot about him for two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river came seven cows. Anything with cows, so cool. Sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds, and after them seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those who were on the riverbank. Now you got 14 cows. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. I guess if you're Pharaoh, you don't have anything else to do but worry about dreams about cows. And so he fell asleep again and had a second dream. So it's a double dream. Does this sound familiar? Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, the seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin, scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of the grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. And Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Why? Because the enemy doesn't have access to what God's doing. Then the chief cupbearer said, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy in jail down here. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. He shaved and changed his clothes. He came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream that no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph, I hear you're amazing. Tell me what this means. Here's Joseph's response. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Who is the interpreter of dreams? God is. Can he give us insight on the, into what dreams mean? Absolutely. It's easy to see um, patterns and trends of dreams and just assume that we know how to interpret those. Sometimes we don't. I would say we always need to seek God first, to say, God, what is it that you want to say? What is it that you're showing me? What's the context? How do, how do, you, how do you want me to move forward out of this? So then Pharaoh tells the stories to Joseph. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. So he explains the seven good cows are seven good years and the seven heads of grain are seven years and the one, they're one and the same dreams. And then the, the lean, ugly cows came up are the seven years after that. And then seven worthless heads of grain after that. And so it's just, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Um, and so he explains it. And then in verse 32, he says this, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Same dream, two forms. He says, God is going to do this. It's your choice on how you want to respond. And I believe that dreams need to be prayed through. And I do think that there's something about a repeating dream. Why? Because God is a repeating God. He doesn't want you to miss it. 
He's like, no, that was a one-time showing. Sorry. If you missed it, you missed it. That's not who God is. If you don't feel like you got it the first time, you can say, God, can you tell me again? Can you show me again? Can you help me? He's so gracious. He's not frustrated with you. He's not disappointed with you. He's not upset with you. He's not going, dude, really? You didn't get it yet? In the midst of it, what happens? Pharaoh is explained what the dreams look like. And he says, Pharaoh says, what do you think I should do, Joseph? He says, well, you should find a wise man who could administrate all these things. And he said, you're that man. He makes them basically the, the second in command of all of Egypt. And why? This was all so that a nation would be saved. The nation that God is going to bless all the nations from. This tribe of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even the things that were meant for evil, he says in Genesis 50, God will turn around and cause for good. So I want to challenge you if you have a repeating dream, especially to say, God, what is it that you're saying? What are you showing me? What are you warning me about? Next week, we'll look at Joseph from the New Testament and see some of the categories that I believe that God speaks into through dreams. But just bringing up to the present day, as I was thinking about God revealing himself in dreams, I remembered my friend Gene Wolski. Gene Wolski, we met in Aqaba, Jordan, nine years ago. And um, Gene and his wife, Jessie, served as international workers in the Christian Missionary Alliance, and they're currently now in Redding, California. And we happened to run into Gene this week, and... Um, I said, Gene, do you remember that story that you told me years ago? And could you just share it briefly with our church family by sending us a little video? So let me show you this quick video of Gene telling you about how God showed up, Jesus showed up in some dreams to bring a couple women to Christ. Hello, this is Gene Wolski, Alliance International Worker. Um, my wife and I have worked in the Middle East and in the Mediterranean region amongst Muslims for over 15 years. First met Pastor Andrew and some other about nine years ago when they came and visited us in Jordan. It was during that time that we met a woman named Raja, another woman named Chaldea, that part of their faith journey, a major part, was how God had spoken to them through others, but then on their own, they had dreams of Jesus. And those dreams, God used those to, to really solidify and it was as if God was saying, I am at work. And it was a huge turning point. And both those women accepted um, faith in Christ as a result. Hello, this is Gene Wolski, Alliance right. International Worker. Um, and he's going to say it again. Thanks, Gene. in the Middle East um, and in the Mediterranean. So just thinking about the present day, we had Tanner Russell's memorial service here uh, yesterday. And... Um, as I was praying beforehand, Lord, what do I say to this family, to this extended community who's grieving the loss of this young man who died far too soon? And um, I was, I took it, I take all memorial services very seriously, but I just felt like, Lord, I don't, there's some that are more difficult than others. What do you say? What can I say? And so desperately wanted these people to know who Jesus was. But also understanding the younger generation, they don't need Jesus shoved down their throat. So Lord, what was the strategy? And the strategy actually came out of something that I happened to say off the cuff last week in my message. And the Lord kept bringing it back to mind. Why? Because he's repeating God. 
and he's not going to let you miss it. He wasn't going to let me miss it. He loves these people far too much. He loves me far too much than have you miss it. And so what was impressed upon my mind was in, tell these people how, how much Jesus has changed your life, healed you, made you whole, set you free. And then invite them that if they want to experience Jesus, they can pray a short prayer asking Jesus to come visit them in their dream. If it works overseas, why wouldn't it work here? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What if God doesn't do it? This is the beautiful part. This is where we put God on the spot. We go, God, we know that you love them more than we do. And you want to reveal yourself more, so you do the work. I raise up Jesus and then let the Spirit draw him into himself. So I just told everybody yesterday, hey, this is what you pray. You pray a quick prayer. Lord, come and Jesus, come and visit me in my dreams. And I told them, when Jesus comes and visits you, come back and tell me about it. I am believing that more than one person is coming back in the next few weeks. They're going to be trying to find me at the office or emailing or showing up on a Sunday morning. And maybe there's somebody here today. And they're going to say, hey, that thing that you said. And we'll say, let's talk about who Jesus is because he's pursuing you. I believe that God wants to reveal himself. But are we looking? Are we watching? Are we listening? Are we open? Are we open to hearing from God? Are we ready to write down what he has to say? I would recommend having a little notebook right next to your bed. Because if you wake up in the middle of the night with a very vivid dream, you should write it down. Where do I get this idea? Well, I'm glad you asked. Habakkuk 2, one of your favorite passages. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, like on the city walls, and I will look to see what he will say to me. Looking and saying, looking and hearing. You see it again? Verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. Write it down. If I'm going to show you something, write it down so you can pray it through. You could test it against the scriptures. You can share it with a wise counselor or more mature person in the faith and help you grow. Right? So I want to challenge you as we close today to think about, do you take your dreams seriously? And yes, sometimes you have weird dreams because you're watching weird shows or you're eating too much pizza. And that's what it is. But there's other times when you know that's not the case. And I have noticed I am dreaming more and more and more. Is it because the old men dream dreams? Is that what's going on, Gaylord? It might be. So in the midst of it, um, please stand. I want to bless you. But if you've not joined the text line, um, same deal as last week. If you join, I'll send you this, uh, the link to this, this song that I orchestrate. I wrote and orchestrated. It's just... Uh, strings and oboe, but I just really believe it's a gift of peace for you. Um, and I want to send that to you, but you have to join the, the text line. So you text the, either the word encourage if you want a couple encouraging texts a week, or the word lead if you're a leader of any kind and you want to just have a quote or an idea on leadership here and there. Um, would love for you to sign up for that. I would also ask for you to pray for me 
and my friend Gaylord Enns, as we go up the hill to Tahoe, we are going to facilitate, he and I are going to facilitate a three-day, two-and-a-half-day, really, um, prayer time for Northern California pastors. We believe this is going to be a really pivotal time where God's going to show some strategy for us as a region to be able to move forward together. Um, and we just, we think it's important for pastors to be together to build relationship across the nominational lines. There's many, many guys that are coming from Chico going up the hill. And so I would just invite you to be a part of the prayer team, please, this week. It'll be Monday through Wednesday. Uh, but he and I are going to go up today and, and get a head start. And so Jesus, thank you that you are God who reveals yourself through pictures and dreams. We do pray that you would give us dreams from you, Jesus. You would remind us of your faithfulness. You would take us into a place where you'd warn us about the things that we need to know about. You'd show us things about the future that would give us hope to hang on through trials. Lord, thank you that you're repeating God, that, we, that when we miss it, you just keep speaking to us. And I pray that you'd make our hearts soft and tender to you. God, thank you for this family. Um, thank you for new partners and... Um, fun things that are happening in our community. I pray your richest blessing on these gathered here and those my friends on the stream far and wide. So I bless them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Prayer folks, come on forward. If you're in the house, we'd love for you to come and get prayer from any of our folks down front. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.